I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun, for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Neil Zacharias, and you're listening to Eat for the Planet. On this show, we try to answer the question, how can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. We've all experienced the struggle of coming home from a late night at work, opening the fridge, and realizing we have absolutely nothing to eat. Ultimately, this leads to ordering takeout or making a meal out of chips and other random unhealthy things that are just laying around. While this might work as a quick fix in the moment, over time it takes a serious toll not only on our wallet, but also our health. This is exactly the problem that led to the creation of Bistro, a plant-based meal delivery service that uses organic ingredients and is completely preservative and GMO-free. I recently got the chance to sit down with Monica Klausner, the co-founder and CEO of Bistro, to learn more about the company. In this conversation, we get into how Monica and her brother, Mark, went from having careers in sales and investment banking, respectively, to starting a food company. From learning the ropes and logistics of all that comes with coordinating food production, to working with top chefs to develop delicious meals that taste amazing even after being frozen and shipped, Monica dives deep into Vistro's journey during the five years in operation. Monica and Mark have an incredibly unique take on growing a business and founded Vistro on the same basic principles that their family of entrepreneurs in Costa Rica had with their own businesses. Mainly, they're focused on growing a sustainable company that does not spend beyond their means, producing quality food that recalls the meals they ate growing up and providing the best service possible to their customers. Monica also gets into Vistro's marketing strategy and explains why they favor the term plant-based over vegan and how they develop names for meals to appeal to different consumers. She also gets into their various meal plans and how their menu has grown and changed over time. Monica wants to make healthy, fresh, plant-based food available to everyone. And given Vistro's growth and the absolutely delicious food, which I had the chance to taste, I certainly think that goal is within reach. Monica, thank you so much for joining us on the Eat for the Planet podcast. Thank you for having me. I want to start off. Firstly, it's been it's great to be here in person in your sort of newish facility, uh, two years old, and to see how your food is actually made. It's always a fun thing to do and then taste it before we start recording. Um, so if I start to get sleepy towards the end of the podcast, it's probably because of the food, which is delicious. Actually, you should not be getting sleepy because this is all plant-based. You're right. You're already taking us on the right path in this conversation. <laughs> so I guess I want to start off with um, a broad question about what it is, what business do you have being in the food business? Because uh-huh. I hear you're not from the space. No, no. My brother isn't either. You know, the business that we have being in this business is that my brother had a problem. 
and he wanted to solve it. And so that's why we're in this business. But let me back up a little bit. So my brother, Mark, was an investment banker for a while. And he found himself coming home at 11 o'clock at night and really just hungry. And he'd open the fridge and there'd be nothing there because he was a bachelor and in his you know 20s. And he would just order takeout over and over and over. Or he'd go through the drive-thru on his way home. Or he would just have a bunch of frozen pizza. And as he get, was getting closer to his 30s, he started feeling not great and he was always tired and his skin was a mess. And he just didn't think that this was the way that people should eat. Now, we grew up in Costa Rica. Oh, so, wow. yeah, so we grew up eating in a very different way. You know, all the food was made from scratch. And so it was vegetables all... aren't alien to you at no, all. No, <laughs> no. And in fact, eggplant was like a staple in our house, you know. So we ate lots of fruits and veggies and Lots of things made from scratch and not a lot of meat because I don't want to tell you how many years back that was because that'll just, you know, date me. But back when we lived there, mm -hmm. meat was expensive. And so we would have meat maybe, you know, twice a week. And the rest of the time it was all just mainly veggies, mm -hmm. a lot of rice, a lot of beans, and a lot of different veggies. So when Mark was having this problem, he would call me and he would say, ugh, why can't I just find food the way that we used to eat? Clean, like just veggies and, mm -hmm. and made from... Like, why? Why is it so hard? And I was like, don't look at me. I don't like to cook. I, you know, I don't have that gene where you open the fridge and you mm -hmm. go, oh, I have 12 ingredients. I'm going to make blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like, I do not have that gene. <laughs> um, and so in his 30s, he just said, enough of this. Like, this is not okay. There's got to be something that I can do. Mm -hmm. And so he said, I want to do this. Like, I, I want to start this business. Well, so, and so he decided, so so did he start changing the way he was eating? Um, because the problem that you outline in terms of what he faced is that sounds like my life in the past. Mm -hmm. um, I live in New York City, which is slightly different. No drive-thrus, but um, delivery all the time. All the time. And with the, the introduction of Seamless and all these other apps, it's gotten even worse. So yeah. I went through my own... Uh, you know, coming home late from work and just uh, too lazy to cook or too tired to cook. Yeah. Um, and so you go with whatever food and eating out is fine. Mm -hmm. But if you do it every day, it is not good. Um, not good for your pocketbook either. <laughs> not, definitely yeah. not. So it seems like he spotted a problem and he thought, well, maybe we can. <laughs> my, I guess my point I'm trying to struggle with is. Why food? I, no, it's, it's I'm sure a lot of people have seen that problem. Mm -hmm. What gave you the courage to, what gave him ah. and then eventually you the courage to say, oh yeah, we can, we, we'll go start that company and we'll do it. <laughs> and, and here you are, you know, five years later, who've actually done it. Okay. So we come from a family of entrepreneurs. Mm. So our parents and grandparents all were business owners, our business owners. And so we grew up with that mentality of like, you know, you have a problem, you want to solve it, just go do it yourself. Like it's, you know, you just do it. And it's actually kind of a good thing that we didn't have any food experience because mm -hmm. I think when you do, when you come from this industry, you're way more nervous mm. and hesitant to jump into it because you know how complicated it is. Yeah. We had no idea. We were like, hey, we're hungry. We need food. Uh -huh. It needs to be good. And hey, 
let's do this. We can do this. This is the, this is America. You know, yeah. it's the land of opportunity. But it is actually, you know, if, it is. if you're if you're naive and uh, brave enough and uh, and crazy enough, yeah, you take that step. But it's like I, if you don't take that first step, you never end up doing anything. That's right. Um, and, and a lot of people have great ideas, of course. But yeah. the difference between you know the people with the ideas and the actual entrepreneurs is that you like strap on your boots yeah. and you. Get your hands dirty. Yeah, I may have mentioned this before on the podcast, but the, I used to live uh, in a, the first building I lived in New York City. Um, my neighbor was this guy who, who had a job and he was, was kind of unhappy with his job. But he would, I hope he's not listening. Uh, he comes, he used to come and we used to hang out sometimes and uh, we were, you know, he had a backyard and I'd hang out with him and have a few beers. And uh, he'd have like a new business idea every other day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was like, this is the one. And uh, he never, Did it. as far as I know, never executed any of those ideas. It's nerve-wracking. Um, because know? it is like, you know, you don't know where to begin. And then right. finally, when you think of like, you know, you, yeah, I want to I create an electric car. But like, wait, wait, how do I start? Right. Where do I start? And it takes humility because you have to accept that you don't know anything and yeah. you've got to learn a lot. So you both seem to have gone in with a naive optimism of an entrepreneurial family, which is good. So it was in your genes. It was in our genes. We also, because we come from Costa Rica and our parents and grandparents are business owners, not just Mm -hmm. entrepreneurs, we come from the mentality of you only spend, when you you have a business, you only spend what you can afford to spend. Mm. You don't overspend, you don't go into debt. And so we've been able to accomplish, you know, all we've done in the last five years with about $2 million of investment, Wow! which, you know, in, in this day and age, it's sort of outstanding, but it comes from that mentality of you're building a sustainable business. Like this business is being built to last because we're doing something important. So, you know, I'm going to back up a little bit. Um, There's enormous logistics Mm. in this business because we go direct to consumer. So we had to figure out how to transport the food from our facility to the consumer. We had to decide whether we were going to make it fresh or frozen. We, I mean, I could bore you with all the details. So Mark, my brother, he did all of this before Mm. I even came into the business. He did all the market research. The only thing that I helped them with at the beginning with the idea was to read the China study. Because oh. <laughs> for some just serendipitous reason in this world, before when he was just looking to start the business and just thinking about it, I was reading the China study. And, and that said, was originally not supposed to be all plan-based, right? Before you well, read we the just, China? Well, we hadn't thought about it. He hadn't right. thought about it. He was just thinking logistically how to uh-huh. transport food. They hadn't thought one way or another. And I was reading the China study and I said, you know, you should read this book. It's really good. And it kind of brings us back to why, but it gives you like scientific facts as to why we should eat all plants. And he read it and he came back to me and he said, brilliant, done. Let's do it all plant-based. And he was doing this by himself. Like Mm -hmm. I wasn't supposed to be part of it. I was actually a stay-at-home mom at the time. Before I was a stay-at-home mom, I worked in sales and marketing for 20 years. Mm. But, you know, I had three kids. I have, I still have three kids, I hope, when I get home. Um, I have three kids, but I was a stay-at-home mom. And I actually was having my own set of challenges unrelated to his. Mm-hmm. And when he talked to me about it, I said, he said to me, this will be great for young professionals. And I said, actually, 
this will be great for moms too. Because even though I'm home, because I don't like to cook and mm-hmm. I don't really know how to put food together like that, I find myself feeding my kids the same three things over and over. And I'm going through the drive-through so often because I'm in the car schlepping them from here to there, there to yeah. here, and I need to eat. So I said, this would be great for moms too. So the more we talked about it, the more we got excited and the more we realized that there really was just a hole in the market. At the time, Blue Apron was just starting to make mm-hmm. some noise. So we both ordered ordered it. And, you know, this is not a hit on Blue Apron at all. It just yeah. in general, our experience about meal kits is that we both ordered them. And then came together and said, this is not convenient. It took me two hours. Mm. I was chopping, I was cooking, and then I had three pots to clean. And the kitchen was a mess. Like, this is just not what I think of when I think of convenience. And we agreed. So that sort of informed, you know, our decision to make fully prepared meals. So we had already decided plant-based, fully prepared. And then Mark did all this research on how to transport food. And we decided we were going broke. Like we wanted to ship nationwide from day one. And the only way to do that was to transport the food frozen. Mm. So the most interesting thing about that decision is that now there's all of this research trickling into the market that talks about the benefits of actually eating frozen food. Because when you freed, when you freeze, sorry, when you freeze food at its top nutrient levels, it literally, quote unquote, freezes the nutrition level there. So even if it's in your freezer for three weeks, when you thaw it out, you're getting actually really nutritious food still Yeah. versus food that's been in your fridge for a week. Wow. So that you also kind of stumbled in, in without realizing you were going to do something that would in the long run be the smarter decision um, from a health standpoint as well. So yeah. um, obviously... Doing a business like that, even if you're doing a frozen uh, prepared meal delivery business, uh, there is enormous logistics, perhaps not the same as if you're doing retail. You were going to do e-commerce in the beginning. Mm -hmm. How did you raise money in the beginning? Was it just friends and family? Like, did you you have institutional investment? Your first round was just small, right? Yeah. So we bootstrapped the business ourselves at the beginning. Um, and then we raised the small friends and family round. I, I want to pause there because anyone listening who is an entrepreneur who has any aspirations to be one, just think for a moment about the logistics of preparing and delivering food nationwide. And then think about the fact that they chose to bootstrap, which is basically not take money from anyone. I know people now who are companies that have been around a year or two, I won't name names, mm-hmm. that are raising their second round and they haven't made a single dollar yet. Yeah. So this is, there's, there's many ways to do entrepreneurship. This is my favorite way to do it. Yeah. Well, this was the only way we knew. Mm-hmm. So we bootstrapped it in the beginning, put the whole, Mark put the whole thing together. Then I came on to help him do sales and marketing. You know, it also helped that I was working for free so, <laughs> and he was working for free. And, and we, he's your younger brother, right? He's my younger brother. Okay. Yeah. So to, did you, do you get a boss him around or did that have to no. change once this Oof. business started? You know, I think out of all, when people ask me what's the, been the biggest challenge for me, it's been literally to um, take 
down my bossiness and let him be the boss. Like that was the hardest thing for me because I'm the oldest of four. Oh, okay. I so, am yeah. used to being the boss and of where everybody. Is he in the... He's number three. Oh, okay. And so, you know, there's five years between us. So I came on this and I was like, I, you know, I'm just going to be the way I am. I'm the boss. And he was like, I don't think so. <laughs> So it took me a couple of years to get for with him. the program. And oh, I yeah. say good for him because I have a sister who's four years older <laughs> than me. And I would have never survived working with her. <laughs> well, I'll tell you the first couple of years were definitely rocky. <laughs> we have come a long way in our relationship mm. as well. And now, you know, the, there's something to be said for blood relationship. Like, I know unequivocally he has my back and I have his. And now our relationship is incredible. We, you know, in the beginning, because we're both very type A, we were sort of getting into the other's dish. But his <laughs> expertise... Dish. I like the fact that you used the word dish. <laughs> oh my God, I have so many food puns. Like you would just, like you, you'd be like enough already. Um, but he, his expertise is finance and mm. operations. And my expertise is sales and marketing. And I know nothing about what he does. And he really is like the ultimate person who is not a consumer. So he knows nothing about marketing. Oh, that's perfect. But in the yeah. beginning, we were like so type A. We were both like sort of jumping in each other's dish. And not that created a lot of issues because mm -hmm. you can't tell me how, you know, to do my job. I know how I'm doing. Yeah. So now... We're very, very good. We trust each other, you know, completely. I know that what he does, he's the best at what he does. Yeah. I mean, you've seen our logistics and, and not to bore all of your <laughs> listeners, but we have some like intense logistics in the back yeah. of our office and Mark runs all of it. Wow. So it's pretty amazing. I mean, I'm I'm blown away by him. But that's what you need. You need uh, you need that kind of teamwork where you know if he's he's keeping the engine running, right? You're out there, you know. Uh, I'm feeding the funnel, and yeah. he's keeping. And you're the making engine. You're, and you're making the uh, using a car pun now for some reason. But you're you're the one waxing the car, making it look beautiful, and and right. getting it, you know, driving it maybe, that's right. and getting it sold. <laughs> getting it sold exactly. That's so. Right. Back to, we kind of lost track, but back to the, the money part. You yes. started off with bootstrapping. And um, and so how long did you kind of keep the company going for the first few years based being bootstrapped? And then when did you start eventually becoming revenue funded as such, which is, you know, using your uh, revenue to kind of reinvest it in the company? So we actually broke even right before each round that we've done. We've done two rounds. We've okay. done a friends and family round. Um, that was pretty small. And then we did an angel round. So the reason that we did these rounds was because we had already seen the business work. So we bootstrapped it because we didn't know. This was a this was like a whole new territory. Mm. There were no companies really doing this in the plant-based space. Yeah. And so we needed to know if, if there was a, a need. So the first thing I did, and I'm going to jump a little bit into marketing while mm -hmm. I tell you about why we raised the funds. Um, the first thing we did was I reached out to 50 fully vegan bloggers. And I, I needed to know, like, if people who've been eating this way, if they love it and they mm -hmm. find a use for it, then there's definitely space for other people who, who don't eat this way to potentially be interested in it. And 49 out of the 50 bloggers, their reaction was, oh my God, where have you been all my life? 
and this food is amazing. So, and by the way, the 50th, what he said was, my wife's cooking is better than yours. <laughs> which is okay. Which is, fine, yeah. which is totally okay because there are people who just won't be interested in ordering food to be delivered. Yeah. But 49 out of the 50 was amazing for us. So the first round that we raised from friends and family really was to fuel our operation. So we, you know, we had already broken even then, but we wanted to take on a round so that we could pour some more engine, some more gas on this engine mm -hmm. and grow. And we did that really well. We broke even again. And then we decided to raise um, some angel funds because we were in a 1,500 square foot commercial kitchen mm -hmm. and we were putting out 20,000 meals a month <laughs> from there. I don't even know how we were doing it, honestly. Like we had six staff and they were mm -hmm. working shoulder to shoulder, elbow to elbow. Wow. So the next round we raised, we spent it, we spent a lot of it on building out this 20,000 square foot facility that we're in. Yeah. And you started in 2013 was yes. the year you launched. What, at what point did you feel that you did you had something here? Uh, how long from the start till um, to the point where you and your brother looked at each other and said, well, maybe we're onto something and this is going to be a real business? By December. So we launched in May 2013. So within by December, six, nearly six months, absolutely seven months. Yeah. Wow. By December, we were like, this is happening. This is a real business. We have to follow this through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's so after that, you raised the rounds and then you kept, you know, that's such an interesting way to do things because, uh, I mean, we won't bore people with from a, I mean, maybe we will. Um, <laughs> you could, the, big, the bigger you get on your own. The, when you do raise money, you know you're going to be much smarter about how you use the money and you're going to have a clear plan about where to allocate it. And um, um, you're also going to get much better valuation yeah. if you get institutional investment because you've got a proven business model. You're probably profitable at that point. Um, and then it's only like, yeah, if we expand from this small facility to a bigger one, we'll be able to deliver so many more meals. Absolutely. The math can be done easily. Yeah. Uh, and then it's very easy for an investor to say, well, okay, I'm on this, 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 this fast moving train mm -hmm. and, and it's left the station and I can either jump on board now or be left behind. Yeah. That's a great place to be in as an entrepreneur versus when you're standing at the station saying, hey, I'm going to build a great train. It's going to be super fast. Mm -hmm. Please give me money so I can do it. That's right. And a lot of people, a lot of VCs do that. Mm -hmm. You know, we didn't want to take on VC money early because we really felt that we had a, we still had some growing to do and we still had some proving yeah. to do um you know the proof of con of concept was totally there but we we didn't really pivot but what we pivoted our marketing strategy early to bring vistra to the masses yeah so let's talk about marketing let's yeah. talk about how so you started off with these small bloggers mm -hmm. i mean the, the vegan bloggers who who said they loved it 49 of them at least yeah. um and you seem to be about six, seven months in thinking that you were onto something yeah. and you had a, you have a, you have a clear business model here that may work. Yes. Um, like what, what was your next step? Okay. So one of the things, so a lot along the way we have learned so much. So one mm -hmm. of the things that I, that we learned early in the process and I learned it first, firsthand was from my own friends. They would look at our website and they would say to me, my God, you're 
your food looks amazing. But I'm not vegan, so it's not for me. Uh. And I thought, that's sort of ridiculous. Like, do you eat sushi? Yeah, of course. Well, you're not Japanese, so how is that food for you? Like, this is what I was thinking. And I'm thinking, there's such a misconception that vegan food is only for vegans. Like, mm. why? This is for everybody. And everybody needs to eat more plants. So we had a very deep conversation about it. And, and we both agreed, you know, we're in this to make Vistro a big company. But not, beca- not just because we want to make a lot of money, of course. Mainly because if, if the world doesn't change the way we eat we're not going to have a world to live in Mm -hmm. in a short period of time and it's a real threat like it is a real problem so for me you know my personal journey was very interesting and I, I won't get into the details of it but I came to a realization that in when it comes to being vegan or eating plant-based people feel like they either need to be all or nothing Mm. why Why do we need to be all or nothing? So when we pivoted the strategy, what we did was we got, you know, we basically took the word vegan out Mm -hmm. of all of our marketing materials. We want our brand to be friendly. We want it to be um, approachable and we don't want to put people off. And yes, we are a vegan company and we make vegan food. But if we can say, here's some delicious food that's made from plants, Mm. and by the way, it's an enchilada casserole, it's a burrito, it's a red curry, it's all food you recognize, why wouldn't you try it? It's healthy, it's delicious, it's convenient. So we moved more into that space where we're talking about um, solving the issues that people had without pushing the Mm -hmm. vegan front and center. And really the bottom line is everybody needs to eat more plants. If you eat them once a week or you eat them every day, three times a day, it doesn't matter as long as you eat more of them and less of the other stuff. You're so right. And at the end of the day, that's why, and you know, your realization around that is also reflective of what's really happened in the last few years. That's why plant-based eating has become as popular as it is now. That's why people are cutting down on meat because they are getting the message that this food is good, this food is nutritious, this food is good for your health, this food is good for the environment if you do care about that, which you should because we all live on this planet. (laughs) So, um, And of course, if you care about animals and you're you're worried about the way animals are treated in factory farms, which is Mm -hmm. where 99% of all meat, dairy, and eggs come from, then then it kind of makes an obvious, it is an obvious choice for most people to make. So I think the moment you take away the, and again, I, I can, I don't want to talk too much about this, but the moment you take away the, the aspect that this isn't food for someone on a certain type diet. of diet mm-hmm. and it's just food, it's just good food. It mm-hmm. just is plant-based and right. there's no animal ingredients in it. That's it. And you can eat bacon on Sunday if you choose to. You can eat whatever you want <laughs> right. as long as you eat more of this. Exactly. And more that's, plants. and that is actually, you know, we, we, I don't, I think in a few years we won't even be talking about this right. because it's what's already happening is people get it and they're doing it. And as you make the food better and more convenient and at a better price point and more avail- available all across the country, which yours is, um, and perhaps across the world eventually, 
we will eventually get to a point where people will just be mostly eating plant-based food yeah. and that'll be the norm, which is the only hope I think we have to to kind of address two of our biggest problems right now is our uh, kind of a health crisis in this yeah. country as well as our obvious planetary ex- existential crisis we face in a few years. Definitely. So that's a smart, I mean, I'm, it's obvious that you would recognize that and that's also happened across the space in general. Um, what really changed, though, besides the package, you know, taking the word vegan off, uh, in terms of how you were approaching getting the word out there? Because now, well, that's fine. In, in, in theory, that's fine. But you're still this sort of small company yes. at that point. And, you know, you don't have, you can't put on, uh, you put a, you know, $10 billion, $10 million <laughs> ad campaign. I wish. And go and say, hey, listen, we're for everyone. This is delicious food, right. you know, eat it. So, like, what kind of, how has that evolved now in the last uh, couple of years since you've sort of now re- tried to reach the main, I, I don't like calling it mainstream even because I Just think. The, the, you know, general public. People, like everybody. Eat, people who eat. People who eat. <laughs> yes. Everybody has to eat. So, so, basically, you're reaching everyone, right? Everyone. So, <laughs> one, so we've done a lot of things. Yeah. You know, the first one is we rebranded our company with Vistra Plants Please. And Plants Please is kind of a fun you know, welcoming thing because, mm. you know, on one hand, it could be plants please your body, they please your health, they please the environment. But also, it's like plants please, like give me some more. Mm-hmm. Um, we have worked with a lot of influencers, you know, because our budgets are small. And on top of that, uh, Mark and I consider ourselves super scrappy entrepreneurs. Yeah. And so everything we do has to have a positive ROI, a positive return mm-hmm. on investment. It needs to make sense because we want to be here. We want to have a sustainable business. And the only way to do that is to make decisions that show results. Mm -hmm. And not every decision shows results. You know, we've done campaigns that have not paid off, but that's part of the learning of, you know, of being an entrepreneur and Mm -hmm. of a new business. You have to try things. Mm -hmm. So we work with influencers and we work with influencers who are vegan and we work with influencers who are not vegan. Um, but everybody has to eat and every influencer we work with the really what we want them to bring across to their followers is that this food is delicious. It's just delicious. It's healthy and it's convenient, but it's delicious because at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter how healthy the food is. If it's not delicious, we all know no one's going to eat it. Yeah. You know, I, I've heard people say, well, I couldn't go vegan because, I mean, the food, the food is what I would miss. Well, I mean, last time I checked, vegans eat food too. You know, <laughs> I don't know. Um, and so it's really been about mm. conveying that this is delicious food. So our influencers are really our brand ambassadors and they have done an amazing job in a very organic way at conveying to the people that trust them mm-hmm. that they should try it because it's delicious. Yeah. Let's talk about the food then. So how has that um, evolved to what we were just eating <laughs> before we got started today? Um, you know, one thing is you can figure out the logistics yeah. of uh, doing a food business. But at the end of the day, your product is what matters. Yes. Right? And so we can talk about everything from how to raise money and and when to raise money and how to do marketing. But how, who solved the you know, who solved this problem? Fruit dilemma. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely not me, I'll tell you that. Um 
So, so for someone who maybe has not tried uh, Vistro's food, right? How would you kind of ex- describe your offerings right now? Okay. Well, that's that's kind of a broad question. So mm-hmm. let me break it up into a couple of pieces. Um, and and this will also talk about how we've learned mm-hmm. about the menu and the food items. The the one thing I have to tell you, and I don't know if we've talked about it before, is our menu um, is pretty static. So we have 55 uh, different offer, menu offerings, meals and juices on our menu. And the reason it's pretty static is we've discovered this, you know, along the five years, is when people find something they love, they want to come back and get that over and over and over. And we have customers who will order 30 red curries in one order <laughs> because they love it that much. Mm. And it is not unusual. Like I see orders come in all the time for multiple of the same thing. Humans are creatures of habit. If you think about how you eat, Mm. you probably eat pretty much the same things and you go to the same restaurant and you, when you go there, you order pretty much the same couple of things. 100% right. Yeah. Yeah. So we all like variety, but for the most part, something that we know is what we fall back on. So our menu is fairly static. We are always introducing new meals and moving some off and we do have seasonal items, of course. What we've done with the menu is we have a few meals that we call the gateway meals. Mm. And these are meals where we use meat replacements. Mm. So we have a country fried chicken dinner, chicken nuggets, a Thai chicken stew. We have things that, uh, meals that people can recognize easily and are curious about. So somebody will go, well, I eat chicken nuggets and I eat 12 different types of chicken nuggets. So I'll try these. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we also have meals that are just plant-based, but that have very recognizable names. An enchilada casserole, um, a breakfast burrito, the oatmeal breakfast pie, yeah. the, you know, a lot of these meals have names that people recognize. We have a, a chicken quesadilla. <laughs> so again, these are meals that are a little bit more on the all plant-based, no meat replacements. Uh, some of them do have cheese, vegan cheese, but they're... Things that people are like, oh, I recognize that. Mm. Well, you know, enchiladas are delicious. I'll have that. And then we have, you know, what what I call the, the more professional vegan meals. Um, you know, things like a beluga lentil braise yeah. or a portobello steak dinner that are a little bit more, um, not risky, but that are just a little bit more on the adventurous, adventurous <laughs> end. Um, for people who have already tried our other offerings to yeah. go, well, I'm really curious. Like, what is that? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's how we, how we sort of think of our menu. And we're constantly introducing items to fit these three buckets, mm. um, if you will. And has it always been that case? Or has it evolved because you start to see your kind of customer base evolve? You, you're, in some ways, you're a bit like a restaurant, mm-hmm. except, you know, you have a menu. And you have uh, recurring customers who come yes. back and want to eat the same thing again and again. Yes. But you keep bringing in new customers as you get bigger. And they come in with different tastes and they, mm-hmm. they want variety and they just don't want to eat chicken nuggets. They want to eat um, um, something fancy and adventurous. Yes. So is that changed? How has that sort of been? It has. Mm-hmm. Um, it, def- it definitely did not start out that way. Okay. We started with like five menu items and... You know, it's like when you go to the store and you go, hmm, there's these three things. I'll try all three. And then yeah. you come back and you buy the two that you like and you don't buy the third. 
So we do we did a lot of trial and error at the beginning. We introduced some, some meals have fallen off. We listen to our customers a lot. So our menu has evolved because of our customer feedback. Um, we actually have our phone number, our customer service phone number on the homepage of our, <laughs> of our site because we want people to call us and tell us what they think. And mm. we encourage our customers to constantly give us feedback. That's how we're informing our menu decisions, you know, because I can think that this particular dish is going to sell like gangbusters. Yeah. But if my customers aren't really requesting it or are not, you know, giving me information that leads me to believe that this type of thing is something they want, then it doesn't make sense to introduce it. So a lot of the things we've introduced have come from our customers. When our customers um, say, we really want to see more breakfast options. You know, mm -hmm. we used to have only four. Now we have seven. Actually, yeah. we have eight breakfast options. So we listen to them very closely. We want, we want to please them. You know, we're here yeah. to please with plants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I, I think you, I, I talk to a lot of food businesses, obviously. What I find very fascinating about this business, because as someone who's really interested in, um, in the business of food, but also in food itself, as most people are, yeah. <laughs> I, I think what makes this your challenge and your work fascinating is that you have to, you get to be adventurous yourselves because you can look at all the food trends that are happening in the restaurant space. You can see what all the new menu items, what's happening in social media, what are the hottest new food trends on Instagram. And you also can survey your own customer base to see what, what it is that they want and then craft dishes or test out even dishes yeah. that uh, may become like the next big thing. Uh, and to add to that, you can also, you know, which you have done, I know, and we can talk a bit more about that. You can also try out new innovative products yes. that are being introduced in the plant-based food space and give them a platform, a dish, a recipe for them to be delivered to people across the country. I mean, that, the, the, the opportunities here are just mind-boggling yes. because you get to sit and do things that a restaurant can never do. A food company that's, you know, in the business of making a plant-based meat, for example, is in the business of making a plant-based meat. Mm -hmm. You know, people may decide to eat, um, you know, poke bowls tomorrow and that becomes the thing. Well, too bad for plant-based meats. They, not they, too bad. Actually not. Yeah. Yes. If you're making, if you're making, uh, making plant-based uh, ahimi tuna. That's right. Not. So it really depends. So uh, you get to experiment yeah. and you get to kind of sit here and curate the best of mm -hmm. from a trend standpoint of course from your bottom line standpoint also looking at of course if there's one dish on your menu no matter how much how uncreative it is right. if it's the top selling dish then we keep it then for sure it. and also love you know i'm going to add one more thing before i let you respond to this is that i see that you have these packs so if someone's mm -hmm. just getting started you have a you know starter pack yep. uh, which i'm assuming will have all your comfort food favorites your uh, well the starter pack actually has our customer favorites your customer favorites. Yeah. So oh, that's good the, to know. The top ten it's like the meals, best of. The best of. The mm -hmm. top ten meals our customers come back for over and over and over. The all-stars. The all-stars. <laughs> well, some of the all-stars. Okay. Um, but let me back up for a second. Mm -hmm. Yes, my job is so much fun. It's really hard. But it's, it's hard. a lot of fun. It's really hard. Let, let, let me make sure. I would like your listeners. For me, it's great to say this. It's exciting. But right. to actually do it day to day, I'm sure it's something else. It's, it's actually exciting. Mm -hmm. I love my job. I've never been in a position where I get up in the morning and I'm excited to go to work <laughs> until I've been here. Mm -hmm. And not just because this is your my baby, yeah. but um, really because 
the plant-based world it has changed so much in the last five years and it's innovating at such an amazing rate that it's just fascinating. Like I, I eat it all up. No mm. pun intended. Oh my God, I'm just so <laughs> Pun <old>. intended. <laughs> um, I love, we love meeting all these companies making these cutting edge plant-based meat replacements. We are working right now, as you mentioned, with uh, Ocean Hugger Foods that makes ahimi, um, ahimi tuna, plant-based tuna. We just launched the ahimi sushi bowl. Um, The reason we didn't call it poke bowl is because poke is more of a a coast thing, a California, New York thing. It's not so popular in the rest of the country, but sushi is pretty much across the board well-known. So it's a bowl and it features the ahimi tuna, which is really outstanding. Mm -hmm. We also have, and I love saying this, a a plant-based kosher shrimp jambalaya. (laughs) I mean, come on, you know. I saw the photos. I haven't haven't tasted that, but the photos look, yeah, that that was impressive. It's pretty (laughs) mind-blowing to have a shrimp. And that's from New Wave Foods, It's from New Wave Foods. Mm -hmm. So we love partnering with these companies. You know, for one, Vistra is an excellent platform for them to get their product into consumers' hands. But not just their product by itself, but the product in a meal. Mm. Because I'm sure there's a few people like me who really have no creativity at all and would look at the shrimp and go, I don't know what to do with it. Um, but, you know, in a shrimp jambalaya, it's it's pretty cool. Like you could, it yeah. sort of gets your juices flowing as to like what else you can do with it. Um, and we love that. We love, we love helping plant-based companies grow. Obviously, we're all Mm -hmm. in this for the same mission. We all want to make people healthier and the world a better, happier place to live. So it's it's fascinating. Yeah. And so you have this synergistic ability to, you know, tap into all the cool new products that are being put out there every other month and hear about something uh, every other week, actually. And um, on top of that, you can also then design your menus and your packs to achieve different goals for Correct. your end uh, customers. So whether it's the starter pack or, or the protein you, power pack. And you have a weight loss one as well. I we believe. have a weight loss subscription. So mm-hmm. the weight loss is the only subscription product or one of the only subscription products we have currently because nobody loses weight in one week mm-hmm. and you kind of have to stick with it for a little bit. Um, but even then we make it very flexible um, we created the weight loss program to be on average about 1,200 calories a day. Mm. And I know some people are thinking, oh my gosh, 1,200 <laughs> calories, I'm going to starve. But the reality, and a lot of people don't really know this, is that not all calories are created equal. Mm. You know, you can have 300 calories of nutrient-dense, delicious plant, plant-based food, or you can have 300 calories in a small cupcake. So not all calories are created equal. When you eat a meal that is uh, nutrient-dense, your brain picks up on the fact that your body is getting what it needs, and so you're less likely to be hungry, again, shortly, because your brain has the materials it needs to, you know, bring into energy and to, you know, to go through the day. When you're eating things that are very calorie-dense but are not nutrient-dense, for one, you're going to be hungry pretty quickly. And mm-hmm. your brain is saying to you, I'm still hungry. I'm still hungry. I'm still hungry. 
So that's how people get into overeating. Yeah. So that's the difference. And, you know, we create these packs, by the way, for people who come into our site and go, oh, 50 choices. Like, how do I begin to mm. choose? Some people just don't want to do that. They go, oh, I just want all the protein uh, heavy meals. Yeah. This is what I'm going to do. Or this is my first time. I don't know what to order. Start packs perfect for me. Or this is, you know, I'm just dipping my toes into it. Yeah. I'm going to try this for 21 days. So we have a 21 day kickstart to help you sort of get through the 21 days it takes you to form a habit. So we're, we just want to make it as simple mm. for people to kind of like dip their toes into this amazing uh, way to eat. Yeah. And what is, how do you think your customers are reacting now? I mean, you've, um, you've obviously grown, you've, um, you're in a bigger facility, you're across the country, you're you're now becoming more and more recognizable as a brand in the meal delivery space. Um, you are kind of at the forefront in the sense that you can get data from your customers as well to understand what is it they like and they don't like. How does sort of that evolve now in the next few years uh, as this whole plant-based food space becomes, you know, um, ubiquitous in some ways as i said everyone starts to adopt these foods how do you stand out when everyone is now producing plant-based foods you may have been the first mover but mm -hmm. you know the first mover advantage will only take you so, so far, far. Mm -hmm. um but when you know everyone's trying to jump on this bandwagon now how does vistro stay relevant is it you know what what are those qualities that keeps you relevant say five years from now well the first thing is you know, our mission is to get everybody to eat more plants. So we are working um, with a, a couple of different channels. So we are looking to participate in a clinical trial with some doctors who are um, really looking at the, the differences uh, between eating a plant-based diet and a regular diet for their patients. Um, we are uh, talking to insurance companies because the bottom line for them is if employees are healthy, mm. the insurance companies make more money. Yeah. So we are talking to some insurance companies to get them to uh, subsidize or encourage or work to talk to their customers to implement, uh, you know, perhaps having Vistra meals in their offices for their employees. We are uh, going to go into retail in the next probably you know, 18 months to two years, we have a lot of different channels that we are going to tap into. Um, I love the fact that other companies are making plant-based food, but I have to tell you, making plant-based food is not easy. <laughs> making it delicious mm. is really hard. And it's not really hard because it's impossible. It's really hard because in order to make food made out of plants taste delicious, you really have to know how to play with spices and flavors mm -hmm. and mix them together. And, you know, we're, we're very fortunate that we have an extraordinary chef who it's like second nature to him. It's like breathing, putting these flavors together is like breathing for him. But for us, like our goal is to continue providing amazingly delicious plant-based food into these other channels. We, you know, of course we want to go into schools. We want to go into hospitals. There's the, the world is our oyster. <laughs> Again, there's so many opportunities for our food to reach people in different settings. 
Um, and the fact that it's frozen makes it so convenient that we literally can put freezers in everybody's office yeah. and they can just go grab it and you don't have to worry that the employees didn't eat it fast yeah. enough. I t totally, I was a good, my next question, I was going to have two more thoughts there before you got to what you said, because you basically answered it, is that you've got this, you know, I keep using the word platform, because I think it is true, you can use your your food to, to run almost, you know, you to, to run tests on how people perform on the mm -hmm. diet. So say your weight loss pack, you know, so have someone, have a group of people subscribe to it and have their, you know, vitals monitored and, and make it, make do blood tests at the end of it. Yeah. And then get a sense of, you know, has this um, not only, of course, help them drop a few pounds, but are they now actually doing better yeah. from a health standpoint? And you, because you have the food, you prepare it. The other thing which you mentioned, which is good because I was going to get into it, which is the things you have so many opportunities is food service in a in a big way, because even tasting some of the food and hearing you describe some of the menu items, that's literally the kind of stuff people are asking for in schools. And and look at the the junk we serve people in hospitals. Oh my gosh! And you know, so these are problems that all need solving. And you've you know, you're now, now in a position. And of course, you can't solve all of it all at once. No. So it is the challenge then becomes from your standpoint is like, what do you do next? How do you most efficiently use your current resources without, you know, getting to too many partnerships and not being able mm -hmm. to deliver on them and then just ruining everything? Yeah. Um, so I guess, you're, I guess you'll have to basically have a long priority list and, yeah. and decide which ones you're going to get to first and which ones are going to give you the, the most uh, bang for your buck, I yeah. suppose. That's, that's definitely you know, going to be our, our strategy for the next couple of years to figure out where we should spend our resources uh, to make the most impact mm -hmm. and to make it make the most sense. I mean, if, if it were up to me and school systems were not so difficult to work with yeah. um, and didn't care so much about, um, you know, big, <laughs> the meat industry and yeah. the, the dairy industry's money, um, that would be the first place we would go. But that's a very tall hill to climb. And so it might not be the best place to spend our resources where we can really mm -hmm. make a bigger impact going through, for example, insurance companies who can then affect the corporations that they insure um, and then get to them that way. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, that's that's a smart way to look at it. I mean, I was talking to a few episodes back for those anyone who's been listening to this podcast to Christy Middleton from uh, HSUS, mm -hmm. who is out there trying to convince schools and hospitals to add meatless options, and she she mentioned this to me after the podcast, which is why I bring it up. But she was like, "If if only someone could make a good chicken nugget, uh, that's vegan, all plant based. Uh, you know, that's what the schools want the most. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's the product that's kind of missing out there. Like no one. Uh, that's the sad reality. Is that's what they want. That is what they want, but they're not willing to pay. Is right. the problem? You yeah. know, they they get so many subsidies from. Mm -hmm. That it becomes companies. too expensive to make this food. Exactly, yeah. and it becomes too expensive to feed the kids good food. Yeah, and that's the worst because our kids are growing up to be obese adults. Mm -hmm. You know, our kids are obese already. You know, that's, this is the next generation. It's really, I mean, we can get into this whole, this is a whole new episode, but <laughs> you know, but that's, it's really sort of sad that that's the state of, you know, of the United States school districts. Yeah. But you know, we're getting, it's going to be a long uphill battle, It will, but it takes these steps. And I, I think we're starting to get this, 
effect where there's change happening in every small sub-segment of where food is available. Yeah. It's not fast enough, I think. And and we may sit, you know, we're, in, we're here in LA and I live in New York right now. Um, we may sit there and think, oh, wow, everything's changing really right. fast. Like everyone's eating plant-based food. Right. There's another restaurant down the corner. I can't keep up. Right. But that's not how the rest of the country is. And in fact, the rest of the world is going in the opposite direction, at least in, in China and yeah. India, uh, where the population is growing the most as well. So it's a terrible problem. We like we have to solve it fast. Yes. Um, and each one of us can only do as much as we have available. I mean, have at our disposal in terms of resources and capabilities. Um, but you have to take it one step at a time. But you're in an enviable position where you get to forge these partnerships, which I think is is the way this movement and this this change is going to come about. Yeah. You can't, you know, force uh, being vegan down people's throats. No. You and can't we don't do, that. do that. And that's not going to ch- bring about global change. No. It's not going to bring about change in this country. What's going to bring about change is partnerships, it's synergy, is finding ways to make this food literally the default choice on menus, in exactly. uh, vending machines, in drive-throughs, in uh, grocery stores, of course. Exactly. Schools, hospitals, and everywhere food is available. So it should I think, be it should be the less expensive and not the more expensive yeah, alternative. You know, I, that just gets me upset <laughs> to think about. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. It <laughs> really is, is crazy. Because you think. ask most people, right? You ask most, you know, not not just uh, parents, because of course parents, it's very real for them. They have kids going to schools and, you know, they're thinking about the future of their, their kids and what kind of. You know, how are they going to be, are they going to be healthy, fully functioning human beings and mm-hmm. uh, deal with all the, the nonsense that comes with growing up? Mm-hmm. And on top of that, the, as the years go by, they're going to find themselves on a planet that's much harder to live in. Yep. And they probably, because of the food that they're eating, because it's you turn on the TV and you look at every other ad, it is junk food. It's and just junk. If it's not junk, junk food, food, it's cars, but it's fine. Junk food's junk worse. Junk food is so cheap. <laughs> yeah. And so it makes it difficult, you know, for for most of the country yeah. to make better food choices. But I'll tell you, you know, and I just want to mention this quickly. I know we're running out of time. Um, the The change needs to come about in a friendly way. So... I'll just give you a, a quick anecdote of, of what I've done with my kids that just kind of sort of happened by accident. Um, I have never pushed my own agenda on them because we didn't start out mm-hmm. eating vegan. And it was a huge change for me to do it by myself. But I started slowly changing things that I bought in the house. And initially, you know, when when I bought a bottle of almond milk, the kids were like, ew. What is that? And then, you know, slowly I would eat it and I would I would drink it and I would drink it in my cereal. And then the kids would be like, oh, can I have a bite of your cereal? Sure, here you go. Oh, that's yummy. Oh, it's almond milk. Oh, really? So as I've exposed them to more of this and less of that, mm-hmm. my kids are making their own choices and they're asking questions like why why do why don't we buy milk anymore and so I I talk about what happens and how it works and I spare them the gory details Uh, but we talk about it as an open conversation as to why I make the choices I make for you know for our household and so I see them my kids are now 9 11 and 13 they go to friends houses and they ask do you have almond milk Or soy milk or cashew milk, like, you know, anything that's non-dairy. And that's how we want our kids to think. We want them to think that this is better for them and not because I said so, 
but because we had a conversation yeah. about it. Yeah. I think people are kids or adults and no matter where you live in this country, no matter what socioeconomic background you come from, what race, what religion, mm-hmm. people are smart and they will figure their own way out if they're given the right information and they're given the right choices. Now, that is the challenge we face is how do we make sure that almond milk shows up in or you know a plant-based option for anything else shows up in the grocery stores or in the households of people beyond say your own household right. where they have the opportunity to even try it and then realize that this is better and then you know they'll learn the facts when they need to learn it yes. and um, you know and they'll do as much as they need to do but that's how I kind of approach things is I present facts to people but it's up to them to do what they want to do with that's it right. you know you take it and you ignore it that's fine if you, that's your choice that's i think right. i believe in free will i mean it's, i don't believe in it i think it's a reality it is. people have free will you can't force people no. to be a certain way and on any issue and of course food is one of those big big issues that we all uh, tend to get kind of uh, very attached to so if you have to break out of a habit when it comes to food it has to come from your own will your own desire yeah. your own taste buds um and the best way to do it is get the food across to them, which you're doing. And, you know, we haven't even gotten into it, but the massive opportunity to to solve some of the problems in this country where people just can't find this kind of food. Yeah. Right. Their only option is at McDonald's. And even if they do have the money, uh, there aren't really great restaurants around right. and we, they have to make know, it themselves. We have customers in food deserts mm-hmm. who have called me. I, I've spoken to many of them. And they say, oh, my God, thank you. Do you know that the nearest grocery store that sells organic produce is seven hours round trip from where I am? <laughs> but now I get Vistra delivered to my door. Yeah. So it's really like, you know, the, the change in the plant-based world is amazing. But bringing it to people who are not close to Whole Foods. And that's part of the reason why we chose to stick to direct to consumer. We want to bring this to people who don't have access. Mm. Yeah, in LA and New York, it's amazing. But the rest of the country does not have the access that we have. So we want to be able to bring this to people who have the hardest time finding this healthy, delicious, organic food. Yeah. And you know, it's again, they'll try it. And they may be a lifelong Vistro customer or maybe not, but right. they may try it and then realize, oh, this food's pretty good. Next time they do find a grocery store, when one finally shows up in their town yeah. that sells some of these ingredients, they may They're, be interested in perhaps right. making it themselves. Or if it comes to a restaurant near them, they will try out that plant-based dish. And that's how change happens. Exactly. And we won't even realize it's happening. It's just happening. Yeah. And it happens because of, of uh, some of the work that you're doing and the work that people are doing within this movement. Yeah. So I'm going to close, and I, you know, I could. This is there's so much to talk about here, but um, and I'm sure we'll do this again. But I want to close with kind of a forward-looking question. I always ask every guest who comes on this podcast, in in kind of looking, say, 30 years down the line, and you're a mother of three, you said. Yes. Something you probably think about a lot is, um, you know, if you get it right, if if Vistro does its part and helps becomes firstly a big successful company. and achieves whatever goals you and your brother set out to achieve uh, and continue to set new goals, I'm sure. Um, and the entire plant-based food space continues to grow at the pace it's growing. Like, what world do you see? What kind of food system do you envision 30 years from now? Like, the, the, the perfect scenario, if you get wow. it right. That's such, a, that's such an interesting question because I try to think in five-year increments <laughs> <laughs> just to keep myself grounded a little bit. 
things are changing so fast. Yeah. Um, but if I had to like draw a picture of what the food system looks like 30 years from now. Like the year 2050, say. Is, you know, plant-based is no longer this different thing. It's not a different diet. It's not this or that. It's basically the way everybody eats. Um, the, you know, urban farms are everywhere. And the places that have the hardest time finding this type of food are the places where most of the produce is now grown um, because the communities have come together to do this. Um, I just think that in, you know, in 30 years, I'd like to think that there will be no more animals killed and, the, you know, that the world will look very different and we won't ho have any more, um, you know, ozone layer problems and mm -hmm. it'll be brighter and sunnier. <laughs> That's what my perfect world will look like. Uh, but I definitely think that in 30 years, everybody will be eating plants and it just won't be a thing anymore. It'll just be the way everybody eats. Yeah. And we look back at this conversation and being like, oh my God, imagine that time. Yeah. And we were like, we need to do, you know, you need to convince people that plants, please, like you got to tell them, almost urge them <laughs> to eat plants. Well, it'll uh, be like, you know, like my kids ask me now, mom, <laughs> were, were TVs invented when you were a kid? <laughs> you know, it'll be like that. Like, yeah. our, you know, it'll be hopefully my grandkids asking yeah. their parents, like, yeah. Meat? Like, people actually ate that? Ew. You know it's what like I looking, mean? It's like looking at a rotary phone or... Exactly. A, or, a, or a horse carriage. I guess rotary phones, better. no one uses those. <laughs> no, but the kids don't even know what, how, what to do with it because there's no buttons on it. Or a cassette. And there's no screen, right? No screen. <laughs> what do you do with that? Anyway, Monica, this has been so much fun. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Me too. Um, we could talk for hours, but uh, we will save that for another conversation down the line. Done. Um, I really love the work you're doing here and love the food especially. And if anyone hasn't tried Vistro, I encourage you to give it a shot because uh, it is worth your money and your time. So um, thank you, Monica. Thank you so much. This has been great. You've been listening to Eat for the Planet with Nil Zacharias. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to show your support, please subscribe to the show and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about how Eat for the Planet can help your brand or organization develop the right strategy, implement scalable operations, and grow responsibly, visit EFTP.co. That's EFTP.co. Let's rise up to the challenge of transforming our food system. Thank you for listening. The headlines remind us daily. The world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. 
Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.